What if I get real close to the microphone? Does it sound better if I'm getting real close? Like if I'm deep-throating the microphone like... Hello, everybody, and welcome to the gag. <laughs> Spoopcast, where I, Joshua Simon, talk about queer things and horror things and queer horror things, and I want to make this intro very short because uh, Ellie Kremendahl, my guest today, talking about Scream three west craven's 2000 movie scream three skipping right to the third in the four movie trilogy we'll get into that we'll get into that we'll get into the inevitability of drew barrymore we'll get into the career of patrick dempsey we'll get into all that but i want to (laughs) warn you that i opened the floodgates when i started talking to ellie and i started rambling and i worry that i barely let her get a word in edgewise but at the time, it it felt like a great conversation, and it was exactly what I needed. Ellie is hilarious. You should follow her on YouTube and on Twitter and on Instagram. Ellie is E-L-Y Kremendahl. That's K-R-E-I-M-E-N-D-A-H-L. I think that's right. Oh, gosh, I think I spelled that right. I hope I spelled that right because I butchered her intro. <laughs> but then we had a great talk about movies and queer trauma and all of the great things that queer comics like Ellie like to talk about and I was so happy to have her on um you can check all of my shit out that's right I'm supposed to plug myself too you can check all of my shit out at Joshua Simon says on Twitter and Instagram you can also check out the Patreon for this show at www.patreon.com slash gagpod that's www.patreon.com slash g-a-g-p-o-d so, uh, what's going on, guys? <coughs> Barely made it to noon today before I hit the vape pen. Um, it was just one of those one of those days. I try not to do that before noon. I don't think that's a healthy habit, but I gotta be honest, it hasn't been the easiest year of making healthy choices. But if you're making healthy choices and you're trying to make yourself better bit by bit, and thanking your lucky stars you know maybe family members are vaccinated maybe you're vaccinated uh they finally finished the construction outside of my building they're still doing they're still gutting the apartment above my apartment but at least they're not banging on the outside of the building anymore just directly on top of me um yeah instead of coming from all directions it's coming from directly above I hope they finish renovating that apartment soon, or I might have to go out there with a hammer and chisel, and that 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 up that apartment has to be like ninety percent nails and plywood based on the noise alone. I'm gonna walk in there, and it's just gonna be an apartment with the furniture and the walls just entirely made of nails and plywood. Oh boy, I've managed not to go entirely crazy, but I'm getting very close, very 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 close. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this. This is me and Ellie Kremendahl gagging on Scream 3. Okay, Kremlins, enjoy. Hello, all my gay anxious gremlins, and welcome to The Gag, a spoof cast where I, Joshua Simon, talk about scary things and queer things and scary queer things with some of my spoofer special guests. And today we have the hilarious and the criminally uh, 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 queer millennial comedian i don't know where that came from i was trying to say your last name and then had to remind myself of the pronunciation it's (laughs) ellie kremendahl hi hi i usually mess up the intro but i enjoyed messing that one up criminally queer i love it i'm gonna put that in my in the new bio yeah yeah and i didn't fall into the trap this time. I always ask my guests, how are you doing? But I'm not going to ask that. Great, great, because I don't want to talk about it. 
who, who's doing well? Who's no. who's like this is great? I mean, are you an introvert? Do you enjoy staying in your house? I do enjoy staying in my house, but I like the choice. Yes, the choice. I enjoy canceling plans. That's um, perfect. Yeah. So, and I actually do like to be around. I like to be social too. So that's been rough. Yeah, that's what I'm realizing is like, I mean, going out, I mean, going out at night to do a show or do a set, do do something was like, it always made me nervous because of social anxiety. And because like, even though I perform for a living, I don't, I don't do small talk. I'm not great actually interacting with humans. And if anything, the pandemic has made that more difficult. But I was telling my husband the other day, like, oh no, I think I realized I'm not actually an introvert. Like I like going out. I like talking to people and spending time with them. And the less I do that, the more I'm like, I'm going to forget how to interact with humans. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. The other day I like had to turn around and this truck came at me on this very small residential street. So I was like honking and doing hand signals and like sticking my uh, hand out the window. And then the window comes down and it's this like little kid who's like, I'm so sorry, dude, I didn't see you. And I tried to say um, no worries and it's okay at the same time. And ended up saying, it's worries. <laughs> it's worries. That is so horrifying. It's worries. I said it three times. Oh my God, that's awful. Each time I'm like, it'll come out right this time. It did not. Oh no. <laughs> oh boy. Where do you live right now? I live in Maryland right now. Um, I was born and raised in DC and Maryland. Have you, where do you live right now in, in uh, New York? Yeah, I'm in New York, but so I'm in like the country right now, like the middle of nowhere. Ooh, um, the state of New York. Yeah, like fully upstate New York. And then we're probably going to move back to the city in like March, April, something like that. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Were you in the city when um, the outbreak happened or were you... Oh. No, we were like, we were in Beacon, New York, which is like a less upstate. It's like the Hudson Valley. So okay. it's like an hour and 20 minutes north of the city. But then we'd been talking about like moving back to the city and then the pandemic happened. And then we ended up moving like all the way up here with plans to then return to the city. So it's just, I don't know, the pandemic happened and we were kind of just like, Guess we're both like we're both like crazy sober alcoholics and we <laughs> tend to be, do a lot of like let's change our lives <laughs> <You know? laughs> like let's do something crazy because everything else is like out of control right like what do we have control over and what can we I think that's one of the main roots of why so many people just don't want to wear a mask or listen to science it's like this is the only thing I have control over is my face I, I mentioned this all on every episode it's like people are like I have control over whether or not I protect other people around me and I'm gonna be a dick about it that's a good point and it just makes me so angry because I'm like well just go to therapy or get some stuff <laughs> and it's like have a good conversation with people and realize that because it's like if I move to the middle of nowhere and it's kind of in a way terrible that's my bad decision and it only affects me <laughs> but like those people who are not wearing masks to maintain a sense yeah, of how do, affects everybody how do you convince somebody to care about other people that's the, like the, the again another thing that we don't have control over and it can you know drive us crazy but <laughs> why let it drive why let another thing drive us crazy we're already comedians um <laughs> have you done any outdoor or zoom sets this year yeah i've done a lot of zoom sets how have those um, gone any outdoor because i haven't been in the city okay um, also i've been like turbo quarantined like i probably wouldn't have done it anyway but um yeah, the Zoom, it's been okay. It's been pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it it's an adjustment. Um, how did you find it was, I mean, besides not getting the feedback, not getting the immediate laughter or tension response, yeah. how did you negotiate? Did you do old, did you do your 
previous stuff or did you have have to start from like square one no like I've been working on older stuff and just like continuing to you know work on it mm -hmm. but no I've, I've really been struggling to write new material in since the pandemic which I have like a hard deadline for myself right now because I got to a point where I was like I've been reworking old stuff, but I can no longer tolerate my old stuff. Like, so I can't do any more Zoom shows until I have new fucking jokes. Yeah. So I think a, a good, the best piece of advice for uh, the first two months of quarantine was don't watch your old stuff if you don't want to get like more, more morose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You can also like, if you have stuff that you're working on, you can reframe it because we're living in such a different world than the world in which you wrote those jokes. And sometimes a beautiful or a golden nugget of, of wit or hilarity can come from like reframing something old in today's yeah, uh, box, today's frame. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Let's talk about queer shit. What turned you gay this week? This just this week. Yeah. Yeah. If we went if we went back to childhood, we'd be here for four hours. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I um just binged and finished watching this show, The Wilds. The Have Wilds. You heard about no, it? what's it about? Oh, so good. It's I don't want to say too much because I feel like at almost at everything about it could be a possible spoiler and I like highly recommend everyone to watch this show I can't even tell you who it's written by because it's lemony it's snicket spoiler. <laughs> it's spoiler basically all I can say is that it's like oh well now this is gonna make me sound so pervy but it's like <laughs> is it comedy drama <laughs> it's drama okay. and it's like, well there's it's basically now I just have to keep marching forward, but I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. Dig your heels in, <laughs> kick up the dust. It's like these teenage girls, <laughs> and they're like on an. Well, I I don't even want to say no. I can say that part. They're on they're they're on an island, in a trap, oh. and um. In a what? Sorry. Like a they're in a crisis. Ah, okay. Like they're trying to survive basically, and I. Well, I guess I can say spoilers. Just plug your ears if anyone's listening and doesn't want to know. But basically, there's this like super Christian, like homophobic character girl. But then she. Oh, I like, thought you were gonna say vice president. Oh well, all of him. But it anyway. It turns out that she's actually like a big queer. And then there's like a really sweet, hot little scene between her and the like queer queer character. And queer queer like it was it was hot and it was a little bit heart melting and, and and sweet yeah when you have one of those because it's such a cliche at this point the closeted conservative mm -hmm. uh queer person where it's like you, you need one of those clear queers one of those cqs yeah. to balance it out you know totally. and yeah. they're on an island and that reminds me of that what if all the gays had an island a meme from your like remember when someone was like they want to put us or <laughs> Oh, yeah. you want to put everyone on an island and to be gay with each other just put them on an island and someone's like sounds great tell me where the gay <laughs> island is i am swimming there myself yeah and, that sounds fucking awesome right and and the 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 vice president is rumored to be like fleeing the country as soon as the votes are finally like certified Ooh. my first thought was oh he's going to the island <laughs> he's gonna I find hope, it i hope he's not queer that's true. Like, we don't want him. I don't want him. I, I would rather him be just, like, a stupid fucking bigot. Yeah. That's my community. That's the thing is, is when older people are like, they're just closeted. It's like, we don't need that kind of self-hatred anymore. Like, we, we got it. We got the self-hatred covered. You know, we don't need any more of these bigots, like, who are just like, but they, it keeps happening. Like, the guy in Hungary who was very anti-gay was caught at like a 20-man orgy and he he jumped out a window i mean it's really sad and it is i do have some compassion just because of like how hard it is to live a queer life in in certain yeah. places of the world you know? oh god and hungry is like so homophobic and oppressive in that way um and maybe others but 
yeah and even Pence it's like he's a product of his environment I understand like if he's suffering that way like I wouldn't actually wish that suffering on anybody right um and if like all he wants is that D and he just like can't let himself have it like what a horrible life honestly it would be like I don't know how he would frame like not being in a, a room with another woman who's not his wife alone but like being in constant alone time situations with other men like he's not helping his Mm -hmm. anyway it's unimportant because he's trash and we don't need him (laughs) what are you gagging on this week anything other than the wilds so gagging meaning like i like it yeah it can be a good gag like it can gags can be good gags or bad gags but like um did you see a movie or have a a set or something this week that was just like a wild experience a wild experience this week was so unwild for me. <laughs> the only wild thing was watch the show you were watching kind of I mean when you said gag like the first thing that came to my mind was like the $600 stimulus <sighs> I just am so disgusted and I was having an image of like you know even like the you know like Nancy Pelosi like just like throwing like little crumbs like little like flecks of gold like yes. off of her balcony yes here you are all scrambling to get them very Ava Perone I'm just like revolt I'm revolted by all of them it's kind of insane how people don't kind of see through that enormous gap and think that politicians of any ilk who are in such positions of power have their best have their interests at heart it's it's so transparent but like what when a comic or or somebody is like don't you see what's going on in politics man everyone's just like hey buddy uh, stick to comedy yeah but what is what is comedy if not telling the telling your angle or your truth about how you really feel i I know whenever anyone's like stick to comedy it's like I didn't want to do comedy like I didn't have to do comedy all I had to do was the opposite of politics because <laughs> it's such bullshit and I was tired of like people because because at this point they're not even good at lying they're bad at it now <laughs> I know. I don't know if they are like lying to themselves or not like that part haunts me sometimes like maybe that's what they're good at lying to themselves <laughs> Yeah, like does Nancy Pelosi, I like to get into their psychology and it's like, does Nancy Pelosi think this is the best we can do and this will help people enough and I stand by it? Like, is that what she thinks in her heart? Like, is that what she sees I when can't, she her? I can't imagine she does. I feel like, because politicians can never say what they're really thinking. They can never say what's actually on their mind. They can never even answer a question without going around it or yeah. or ignoring it completely. So I feel like when she looks into her mirror of Arisad or whatever, she just sees herself like curb stomping Mitch McConnell, which you it's kind of hard to do to a man without a jaw. <laughs> but she'd find a way. Oh God, Mitch McConnell, like this administration, like the, I mean, I know he, he way predates it, but like the level of anger I felt towards some Republican politicians in the last four years, like, like, like the rate, like, I didn't know I was capable of like that level of like rage. And like, I was like hardcore, like out protesting George W in like 2003. Like I was like, then, but, and I was, when people are like, don't you miss him? I'm like, no, I don't No, And I was like young and like, so mad in that like really young way. Yeah. No, like I just like exhausting his face and I'm just like I literally wish you death like and it's like I am not someone who right you just said you were like I don't wish suffering on people but yet and yet (laughs) and I and my 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 mother is absolutely a doll um and I hope she forgives me for if I make fun of her in the next five minutes but she was saying something really prescient it was like these people make me a hateful person I think that's where the rage comes from is that they make me think hateful things and I don't like being a hateful person I don't want to be a hateful person I'm like word totally that is very profound like I think that's the exhaustion that's where it comes from is that 
is that you don't want to feel these feelings, but you just can't help the emotions that come up from, you know, whatever. We don't have to go to therapy. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's really, that's really resonates. And it's like, just what it taps into is so deep, like around mm-hmm. just like injustice and dismissal and avoidance of like, just of so much suffering. And right. I, and she like, doesn't watch the news anymore. She's like, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get it. So instead she watches... I don't think she watches. I think I, I got her I got her a TV so that she could watch Netflix from bed, but technology's not her thing. It's just <laughs> not her thing. So I'm like, what are you watching on Netflix? And she's like, I saw five minutes of the crown yesterday. <laughs> Anywho, Scream Three is the movie that we are gagging on currently. 2000, right around the millennium. Um, yeah. Did you see it in the theater? I don't think so. Do you remember when you first came across this movie or do you just remember why it stuck with you? I remember why it stuck with me. Why is that? Well, I loved the Scream tr- franchise. Like I had loved the first two very You're much. You're about to say trilogy. I was. And <laughs> now it's first Yeah, more. they ruined it. No. I had loved the first two. Um, and then the third one, like, I think I just like watched it randomly, but I just really loved it in part because I love Parker Posey. I also deeply enjoyed the like meta components. Oh yeah. But the reason it stuck with me is like, it's something me and my first girlfriend used to watch over and over when we got high, (laughs) like we just watched it constantly. And then I started watching it to fall asleep. Like I had a VHS tape of it. And I would put it on to fall asleep. And so, yeah. And you'd wake up to Creed singing over (laughs) the credits. When I, when I heard Creed in the first minute, I, I I was like, oh God, I think I recognize this musician. And I think I know that it's Creed because I listened to so much Creed. (laughs) Well, sounds wide open. I did not, but I do remember like driving around in my mom's Volvo and it playing. It was the opener and the closer to this movie. I'm like, wow, they really thought this band was going to be timeless. That, yeah, and whatever happened to them, who knows? Their lead singer, like, he was in the news for some, doing some wild things, doing some wild things. And I looked into it and you betcha he was addicted to something, some kind of substance. But for five years, uh, according to this article, he has been sober as well. So good for him. Wonderful. Good for him. There is a solution. Maybe Creed will have like a comeback. Ooh, what if he's on The Masked Singer next season? I've never seen The Masked Singer. Speaking of Jenny McCarthy. (laughs) Oh God. I also, I fucking love Jenny McCarthy in Scream 3, even though I know she's like terrible. In real, that's the thing is she's talking about getting this better agent. And I'm like, yeah, if you had a better agent, you would have said all that crazy shit you said about vaccines. I know, but it's so good. I love, I think what I love about it, her willingness to be in that role is like that she, that I love when people are able to have a playfulness and make fun of themselves. And yes, she is definitely able to do that. I like that. When she says, I'm like, I'm the second one to die. And and it's clear that she's being put in like, because they follow a lot of tropes set up in the beginning, in the, in the first movie. So she's like the Drew Barrymore. And she was kind of, she's kind of supposed to become the next Drew Barrymore, but that didn't quite happen for Jenny McCarthy. But when you look at their careers, now Jenny McCarthy is, she got that new agent. She's a panelist on Mass Singer. She's winning America back. And Drew Barrymore has a talk show. <laughs> wow. So it's like, yes, Drew Barrymore, because she's been in the business since she was a fetus, like is at a certain level where she's got a talk show. But panelist on a hit Fox show is, is kind of a parallel... <laughs> I don't know. It was weird to me. I don't know that you can compare. I don't think they live in the same realm. Jenny McCarthy mm. and Drew Barrymore. Mm. <laughs> no. Drew Barrymore is like, there's something about her that is just untouchable. Can like, you do a Drew Barrymore with your, can you do an impression? I've never tried to in my whole life. So it feels really vulnerable to try to do it. Like, oh, then recording. Oh. Wait, can I try it? And, and you can cut it? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, Drew Barrymore on her talk show. 
no, I can't do it. <laughs> no, I would need to practice it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not at this level. Of, who's of, the one, of, who's the impressionist on SNL who's nailing oh my Chloe God. Feynman? Chloe Feynman is so good. Oh, Chloe Feynman, how she's talking to her, she's Drew Barrymore talking to herself as Nicole Kidman. Oh my God, I didn't see that. Oh, it's good. It's good stuff. And <laughs> yeah, because I don't know the idea before COVID that Drew Barrymore would have a talk show. I don't that 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 didn't make any sense to me. But now in these confusing times, I'm like, yeah, no, that that tracks. <laughs> it totally tracks for me. I saw it not to get too off Scream 3, but I saw this other movie that Drew Barrymore was in this week, which maybe that is like a thing I gagged on. Ooh, what is it? I enjoyed it so much. It was like she played two characters, her and like her stand-in. Wait, what movie was this? It's called The Stand-In. Let me look it up really quick. But basically like she is this like comic actress star in it who has like a stupid tagline. Like it's like not- So she's playing Jenny McCarthy. (laughs) Basically. But then she hates it and she wants out. She's She's an addict. She like fucks up, whatever. But then her stand-in comes in and like kind of takes over her life. But she's playing both characters. And nice. I thought it was just very enjoyable. I think it's called The Stand-In. So I'm not going to keep looking it up. Is it recent? Like, is she? I think it was supposed, I, that I could be wrong about this, but I think it was supposed to come out in theaters during the pandemic. And so uh, it was released online. Yeah, a lot of. Summer, huh? It is a bummer because yes, the movie theater is expensive and it's dirty and a lot of movies are bad, but the pandemic has had the unfortunate side effect of just pushing everything onto streaming, which yes, has had its, in terms of access and engagement, it has its good things, but I think that we're gonna miss the theater experience if we don't get it back. Oh, I miss it so much. Yeah. I love going to the movies. It's like my favorite. Yeah, eating like three bags worth of popcorn alone on my couch doesn't have the same thrill when it's not covered in like liquid (laughs) butter. Well, that and like, I'm not gonna like allow myself to buy like a huge bag of Sour Patch Kids and like Swedish Fish and eat at home and like- Right, it's a treat. Five minutes. Yeah, I need to go and feel permission to do that. What, but what was the last time, or when was the last time, because you have a young child, that you went to a movie theater to see something you wanted to see instead of whatever was going to keep them occupied for two hours? Yeah, my kid's never even been to the movie theater. Because really? She watches movies at home with us, but she's only two and a half. So, like, she was one and a, she was almost two when the pandemic happened, started. Okay. So she'd never been. But so Basil and I we would go on date nights to movies sometimes. So I think we went like a couple months before the pandemic to see something stupid. I don't remember what. (laughs) So that, so that is what, so that is what you miss the most is, is not having to be home the whole time with your child. No, I'm kidding. No, I do miss that. (laughs) No, absolutely. And that makes sense. And parents are getting shamed for like being like, I need to get away from my children, but it's like you you've never had to have your family like your love your even if it's your husband your parents your daughter your son you've never had to like stay with them quarantined for it's months a at a time yeah it's you a get lot to take breaks <laughs> I feel very existentially disturbed when I see people post on Instagram like pictures of them and their partner and it's like especially in the quarantine like I fall more in love with him every day like we have so much fun like love of my life and I'm like uh I am so annoyed and like and part of it is that Basil and I are very like independent and have our own friends and like like to do a lot of stuff alone and then also enjoy each other but I just yes we still love each other it's fun but I don't I don't feel the way that those Instagram captions. No, that's not real. Like I was laughing through your description of that because that is just so false to me. Like nobody except on Instagram is 
is experiencing what these two people and and they're only and it, they're only experiencing it on the outside is is my thing because, because doesn't it make you well I'm I'm just a very anxious obsessive person but like like it makes me sometimes go into this place where I'm like oh no like is that what it's supposed to yeah am I doing it wrong like, am I supposed to like wake up and be like hashtag blessed like to wake up next to the love of my life and it's like oh you know but I think you're right I think it's a performance but sometimes I fear that it's not and then that's fucks me up it's like of course if you want them to be the the last thing you see before you go to sleep and the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning but in the interim they wake you up at 3 a.m with their massive snoring and you're like oh my god if I don't get some sleep I'm going to punch you in every face um (laughs) but then you know then you turn over and you see them snoring and getting a good night's sleep and you're like oh I can't stay mad at you yeah (laughs) But it's yeah, not it's like so falling more in love every day. Yeah, exactly. It's having petty arguments over kitchen appliances and and then yeah. banging it out later, you know? <laughs> For sure. And it's about communication because when you see these th- this like broadcast on Instagram of how great this couple is doing, you don't actually see how they're communicating with each other. You're only seeing how they communicate with the outside world. I think it's yeah, yeah. comparing and, and your inside to someone else's outside. Abs- no, that's absolutely what it is, which is like always toxic to do. And that's what social media is. I know. It which really they is. didn't have in Scream 3. <laughs> they, they tried to bring it in on Scream 4 and that kind of, hmm, that was rough. I rewatched it last night, Scream 3, and I was like shocked by the size of everybody's cell phone. Cell phone. <laughs> they were so big. But Sydney was working from home. And I'm she like, was. She ahead was. of the curve. I know. Also, such a different lens I have now than like when that movie came out. I was like, Sydney, how does she have that giant house in like the Hollywood Hills or wherever the fuck she is? And she works as a crisis as- counselor. A counselor which probably paid like ten dollars an hour i think it was i don't know selling her story maybe i i don't but the all like i don't think sydney would have done that no like, sydney true. didn't sell her story to gail gail took it right in scream four which one was which one had the book or was on a book tour it was like you know, Sydney was like finally like okay I wrote I wrote my story and I'm going out and you know what I only saw Scream Four once I think I need to rewatch it oh I saw it twice in the theater and I only remember <laughs> and I only remember the second time was because I wasn't watching it I was getting like a terrible hand job it, it's a long story but um, yeah so Scream Four is in my memory banks for that particular reason but yeah. also because it took. It took one year to go from Scream 1 to 2. It then took three years to go from Scream 2 to 3. And there was a ton of difficulty with getting the major stars who are now like big TV stars and doing other movies and stuff, scheduling stuff. And then 4 was 2011. So it took 11 years for them to finally coax another Scream movie. And then is that the last one? They are currently making another one. Really? (laughs) Yes. Yes, they are. It... And and Wes Craven died five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah. That. Well, yeah, it was sad, and and it was kind of like you don't want to see um, these big directors going out on bad movies like Scream Four, and then his last movie was also not well received, oh. and and people, um, I do I do like that people are focusing on his previous legacy more because <laughs> mm-hmm. when he did die people were like oh it sucks because his last film was bad and I'm like what about his first 17? <laughs> yeah that is awful that would be like that would be such a nightmare to have people say that after you die. <laughs> oh god right? <laughs> like why are you even bringing that up? <laughs> like, Let's talk about my worst movie right now. <laughs> and also it's like it doesn't fucking matter like they just died like I don't know that on his deathbed like if if you're on your deathbed as an artist thinking like I wish I wasn't dying now because my last movie was bad oh god what kind of torture that must be 
I just aspire to be in a better place than that by the time I'm dying that that's not where my head is I'm sure Wes was I'm sure he was in a way better because I I think Scream 4 was good for being what it was for being a meta reboot of an already very meta franchise that had distinct plans like Kevin Williamson the gay father of the 90s slasher who wrote this when he was selling it had to write or he wrote like two sequel treatments with Mm. the original script. So he sold a movie and two potential movies. Wow. And so there were all sorts of different dummy scripts. But um, for this one, the idea was they were going to go to Hollywood and be even more meta. But before they started filming it, Columbine happened. And they kind of even brought that into this movie in a meta way because when we meet the movie makers they are discussing how violent they're allowed to be and and the guy saying violence in movies is terrible and you gotta get rid of it and and then john milton who i think is the west craven stand-in right is like we gotta make if we're gonna make a a stab movie we got to make a stab movie and that really happened to Wes Craven they didn't want blood they didn't want any violence in this movie they wanted it to be more comedic more mystery driven and less violent and he's like okay we can't we can't do that and it's so gruesome I mean it's it's pretty bloody it is it is bloody but it surprisingly is not as bloody as the first two and that is on purpose Mm, interesting but yeah I guess really, that's true when I was thinking of like the gruesome and the gore I was thinking more about like the first one it's very gory I mean yeah. poor Drew they poor Drew. they do a lot to Drew Barrymore I love that she was down to do that See, right just, no one can compete with her no one can take her down she's uh, unsinkable it's true it's true what she's been through like living her whole life in this crazy movie industry like and coming out the other side with a talk show, good for her. Honestly, good for her. But this movie definitely belongs to Parker Posey. Oh my God. (gasps) I mean, I feel like she just owns every single thing she does. It's so perfect. I, I lament, but also appreciate that she maintained her like independent movie queen status, which is interesting because she plays such a like star or like, yeah. which is which is not who Parker Posey is and I'm wondering if that was on purpose because she, she's mm-hmm. just so great yeah she is was this your first exposure to her or did had you seen her in movies before this yeah, I'd seen her before um I love that movie oh god I don't want to fuck up the name it's the, so is it a Christopher Guest movie one of his well, I love all of those but like Party Girl isn't that like her oh. sort of I'm gonna make sure but I um that's a I think a really good that might not be the name but party girl I'm gonna look I'm sure if I like go party girl like yes um Christopher Guest all of it like um I love fucking loved her I think maybe the first time I saw her was in Dazed and Confused actually so I like bacon you little piggies but then Uh, like waiting for Guffman and best in show I think that improv comedy or improvised film background serves her really well, particularly when she's freaking out and having her cigarette and is telling telling Courtney Cox off. And then they leave. And God, I hope this was improvised, but she turns to Patrick Warburton oh, and I just jumps in his arms. It's perfect. It's that is my favorite moment of hers in the entire film. It's so right? Great. I, I'm glad you noticed it too because I'm like this is hilarious and pa- the fact that Patrick Warburton is also a comedian and improviser I'm like these yeah. two are perfect for each other absolutely perfect the movie is called Party Girl it's a 1995 indie comedy hmm. um, and I also love her I think she's in this movie called wait I just don't want to mess up all my perfect <gasps> Faye Grimm oh that's is that it I think maybe. I love her and Fagram. I'm also thinking about, I think she's in the anniversary party. Did you ever see that? No, but Parker Posey will pop up in a lot. Like she works a lot and yeah. and will occasionally like show, she showed up in like the remake of, of 
one of these Japanese horror movies is like Jessica Alba's sister. Oh. Or something. Yeah. That's so good. I was thinking that when Parker Posey and Courtney, when when Gail and Jennifer Jolie, <laughs> love the names, are like doing their like investigating, I'm like, I need a buddy cop comedy next season on CBS with Courtney Cox and Parker Posey like bust in criminals because they have they they were so great together yeah they did have a good chemistry that just came from Parker Posey like being like I'm gonna copy everything that Gail does (laughs) (laughs) and in his limited uh appearance I also loved her bodyguard uh Patrick Warburton as her bodyguard yeah he was really good very LA very (laughs) I know the ropes here yeah yeah he was very delightful to watch is there something in this movie that did scare you like something that did disturb or or ruin a night of sleep when you saw it in in your teens originally um or no because you were falling asleep no I'm sure when I first watched it like you know I think there was something about the scene oh I know I know the part that fucking scared me so much is when Sydney's having the dream of her mother who's like dead and coming to the window and she runs her bloody fingers down that is unwatchable to me it is so disturbing and she's like listen to your mother Sydney and it's like yeah and they bring that back and and honestly it to me I was it might have been the two th- year 2000 effects, but it kind of looked holographic at a, at a certain point. Yeah. Like, like what well, they like can... Ghost. Like, there she's supposed to be this, right. like, walking ghost. And I had forgotten, spoiler alert, um, I, I'm watching it this time knowing who the killer was, but I really thought, like, it was going to be some Scooby-Doo shit. Like, there was a projector that had been set up behind her tree, and, like, it was projecting an image of her mother. <laughs> but also, like... How would how would the killer have gotten a hologram of like this was two thousand? I know they can hologram Tupac now, they can hologram Rob Kardashian, but <laughs> but I'm like you got to remember that this was not made in right Gooby Doo Land or or yeah. today. Yeah, and that was so. I mean, that was a dream, right? Right. Like, it was just a nightmare, right? Like, were we gonna find out? Was a twist gonna be that it was actually real? yes part of the killers yes because they say you know they they these movies always give you the rules and they even brought back jamie kennedy in a cameo to give you the rules for this time we're in a trilogy we're in the third part of a trilogy and that means the killer is going to be supernatural perhaps or just unkillable in some way and it's all movie magic and they eventually tell you how it's all done but I did think like maybe there was going to be a, a an actress hired to play Sydney's dead mom. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they really go as Hollywood as can be. They've got a shape-shifting, invincible, everywhere-at-once killer. How the voice-changing technology threw me a couple times, I'll admit. How so? It's this tiny little alien device that we see the killer using to change his voice. But not only does he change his voice, he changes it into Others. other people. Yeah. Like anyone. Sydney's yeah. long deceased mother, for instance. Yeah. It's like how... Like you question whether or not that could really happen. Right. But it was also the new millennium and technology. I think they were trying to bring as much of it as possible. Like Sydney's panic room uh, situation in her, in her Calabasas home. <laughs> And the, the way he can change his voice and the, the way that, um, I don't know, do you think it was like Y2K fears were bringing in more technological advances that they wanted in their movies? Ooh, maybe. Like, like people were like, well, they can steal anything about you. They can even take your voice. Right. Kind of thing. Which, I thought it was cool. Like, I thought that was a really fun twist. Yes. And it, and it does help make the killing's more interesting and like the manipulation and the mystery of it more like, cause it could be anyone mm. and you know, it could be Emily Mortimer in a criminally uh, small role. It could be Patrick Dempsey. They, they, they tell you maybe it's the cop. Yeah. 
seeing Patrick Dempsey pop up in this never never doesn't uh, delight same I have a real thing for him I love him I always have yes it's beautiful I was like you can't make him the killer he he is nowhere he's not even believable as like a damaged cop (laughs) well he he is he he does a good he does a good performance but like when they do try to paint him as a suspect when he's like my whole life is darkness you don't really feel that he's too cute for that like who who would they have put like charlie sheen i I believe there's darkness there Like if they had cast some other two thousand year two thousand star, maybe he would be more. I don't know. Yeah, there is something that just seems very earnest and good-hearted about Patrick Dempsey that's hard to overcome. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's the what Grey's Anatomy has made him because he wasn't there yet. <laughs> no, but remember, even like wasn't his breakout role "Can't Buy Me Love"? Do you remember that movie? It's like an eighties movie. Yes, very. He was very young. He was very young, probably a teenager or something. Like he was playing a teenager. He might have actually been a teenager. Oh, okay. Everyone starts yeah. as a child actress. Why am I surprised? Yeah. Well, I mean, if he might have been, he wasn't like a child. He might have been like seventeen, something like that. But um, anyway, even then, like he had that same twinkle. You oh. know. What is "Can't Buy Me Love" about? Well, it's about this like nerdy boy him of course who like I think he just like can't get a break he like wants to be popular and if I remember correctly he makes some kind of deal with the most popular girl in school to like I think she pretends to date him and maybe he pays her or they make an arrangement I don't remember (laughs) but then it like you know he actually becomes like people can see how cool he is oh my god so it's like the melissa joan hart spectacular drive me crazy oh (laughs) i don't know that i've ever seen that it's her and the guy from entourage adrian grenier uh, also the bad boyfriend from devil wears prada um oh okay okay he's a bad boyfriend in that we've decided as a society (laughs) but back to scream three yeah so did you did you find it to be less or more violent than you remember? Um, I guess less. I didn't I didn't feel like taken aback by the violence. Right. They definitely more uh try to make it more actiony, more Hollywood, like in cuz cuz it's got, you know, everything that you would see in a normal action movie. It's got car chases, naked blondes getting out of the shower and Liev Schreiber all in the first 5 minutes and that's every action movie i heard that he wanted to take off his um white power suit 100 cotton's white power suit very subtle he wanted to take off the jacket because he had just started like working out and he wanted i'm like liev schreiber you don't have to convince people you're hot you got this right donovan you've got this <laughs> that's pretty funny 100 cotton was the name of his talk show and i love it not surprising no it's genius writing and if this were made today i'm absolutely certain 100 percent cotton certain that cotton weary would have been turned into like some kind of maga asshole or like men's rights activist something i could see that like he was on his way <laughs> yeah the character as as was written is like apolitical like yes. there's no identity there larger than himself but that would have been an interesting component yeah and to set up the stakes of this movie of course spoiler alert they kill off his character in the first scene and it's a big deal because he had been through but he was also the most like hollywood adjacent uh, social climbing opportunistic asshole so it was kind of appropriate for the transfer of this narrative to hollywood to get him out of the way first to say look behind all the bullshit it's just people stabbing each other in the face and that's all it is yeah and i think that does a good job of setting it up his girlfriend who also dies in that first scene yeah is that the mom from gossip girl yes yes it was oh oh my god (laughs) when i was watching it last night i was like lily is that a young lily vanderwoman i was so happy oh Yes, unceremoniously often 
but thankfully she had a she had a mom career a tv mom career coming her way i have never seen her sort of pre i don't remember ever seeing her before gossip girl yeah it's fun when people pop up (laughs) yeah it is it was a really fun treat because i think she did an amazing job as lily in that show it was wonderfully played yes Um, yeah so that was fun and what else was what else was hollywood about this movie Carrie Fisher pops up. Yes, yes. Carrie Fisher popping up in as (laughs) we don't get her name until you see the headshot on the wall and it's Bianca Burnett, which is a great name. I love that. Carrie Fisher is Bianca Burnett. I do love and miss Carrie Fisher dearly. (laughs) Me too. They were interesting cameos. Um, The guy talking about violence with the Wes Craven stand-in is Roger Corman, who is well-known as the first guy to put tits and blood in every movie. He was like the guy who, who in the 60s started making cheap horror movies, and he gave Francis Ford Coppola his first job on a set. He gave James Cameron and Joe Dante their first jobs on a set, and I think that was, you know, a cheeky little... um, Isn't it ironic that Roger Corman's like, Ew, to violence. Mm-hmm. Now that you have a, a child, do you think that violence in media is actually as influential as it seemed to be in the year 2000? I don't know. I mean, I never was of the camp that that was the reason. You know, I think it more reflects our reality. Yeah. Because um, if they yeah. saw. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I just, I would just focus energy way on so many other places around violence in our society before I even thought to go to movies and TV. Because yeah. Yeah. as violent as they are, I, I don't know. There's just some something like in 2000, if they thought that was violence, the way that we're saturated with violence at her fingertips now is is insane like you can look you can look up beheading videos on tiktok like it's insane yeah and sometimes i think about like i don't know like if we like need to watch it to a degree like because it's just a part of our reality and it's really scary and um i don't know if it just like helps us kind of especially if you're someone that like does not encounter a lot of violence right there's some kind of like deep pull to absorb it more directly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think a, a lot of the reason that horror is is popular is because it's that controlled environment to experience these things because yeah. you can't control when these things might happen to you in the real world so you i don't know you go to the fake world because it's it's safer and but it's also I don't know. It's also thrilling. I don't know why horror is so popular when mm, life is horror. <laughs> yeah, it is though. It's a safe way to sort of expose yourself to it. Like, you know, it's like people get murdered all the time. So it's like existentially, like we all know, like there is no reason it couldn't be any of us that like tragedy happens to. Yes. Um. So I think that there is like a way that there's something comforting about in these controlled doses processing that yeah and and the fact that this is the trilogy they say something like you know the past is going to be dug up the everything's going to come up and you you, the sins and and everything that is going to come to haunt you and i and i feel like that reflects how the further you go along in horror franchises the more you have to relive past traumas or dig it up and give expository um, plot as to why these characters are experiencing violence. Whereas in the first two movies, you can just have violence <laughs> or an interesting story. And I feel like perhaps one of the reasons this movie wasn't as well-received as the first two is because there was more of that. And people don't uh, don't love like actual trauma in their horror movies. <laughs> Right, right. Like they don't want to excavate in that way. Yes. Except now. Like now we've got Midsummer and <laughs> The Witch, and we're like, oh, it's all trauma now. Yeah. I didn't see Midsummer yet. I I've, I've put it off. I don't know why. It sounds like it was pretty good. It's good. It's entertaining. It's spooky. It's scary. It's very, it's like a lot of trauma, though. 
And that's not, you know, that's not why some people go to the horror movies, but it is why others do. It's, it's yeah. to each their own. Yeah. Is, we talked about what make, made you anxious or scared throughout this film. Was there anything gay about it to you? Um, I feel like my adoration of Parker Posey is a little gay. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, she is a queer icon. Yeah. And though Kevin Williamson did not write this script, he did all the others. I think his, you know, his queerness definitely informed a lot of the 90s slasher boom. Mm-hmm. And just the sassiness, I don't want to say sassy, that seems kind of dismissive. The kind of quippiness, the wit of these characters, as well as the self-awareness of their horrific surroundings and their knowledge of horror movie facts. I feel like that is kind of queer because we do have to constantly be aware of our surroundings you know, we're constantly going, re- replaying things in our head, being like, hmm, did I do that correctly? <laughs> and I don't know, that that could just be me as a, as a nervous queer, you know? Yeah, I'm also, I'm an anxious queer. Um, but how can you not be? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's interesting. I mean, like my, so, you know, my husband is a trans man and mm-hmm. like, for the most part like passes as like a cis like people just read us as a hetero cis couple Couple, right right um which has really transformed that certain level of anxiety (laughs) um you you just want to shout like i i'm i'm part of i have arrived at the lgbt community well yeah like i am part of you well now it's just weird like it's very sort of disorienting to be perceived as a straight couple after being like out as queer since I was like 19. Right. Um, there's a slight element to it that's like a little fun like we've tricked you you know <laughs> but also it feels invisible kind of thing yeah. and it's a new well really with queer people I hate it because I don't like being like not acknowledged as queer oh by other queer people when they when they're like oh well you you're hetero so you don't get and you're like actually I'm I'm so queer it's exhausting (laughs) yeah it's it's just it's strange after like years and years of like you know you just get that like head nod kind of thing and then with with straight people it's a little bit more like what are you gonna like think if like when you like find out what's that gonna be (laughs) you know it's it's weird they're like you're queer and and you're here in upstate new york (laughs) that's probably the the most heterosexual thing you've done uh, in your life is 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 moved to upstate new york (laughs) maybe maybe so there's a Hmm. lot of queers in upstate new york these days but there are they're in the woods Chilling, naked jam. Also, we're everywhere. The idea that we have to congregate in certain regions or types of places—that's that's we're we're all in our living rooms. Why <laughs> we're not congregating anywhere? Yeah, right now, no. Do you feel like this movie gets too meta at times? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe there might have been times like moments while I was watching it last night that I felt a little bit like okay like you're just being a little smart like you're very proud of yourself right now yeah there's a little bit more patting on the back in this movie for all of the references for all of the cheeky little nods um to Hollywood um to the to the culture of Hollywood I mean it bears mentioning that this movie was produced by Miramax Dimension Films, meaning the Weinsteins were involved and there are pieces of shit. So, but, but there's kind of a knowingness to this movie already. Years before any of this stuff came to light that, you know, Lance Henriksen's character says, you gotta play the Hollywood game. And, and then we go to that, we're unpacking the trauma of what happened to Sydney's mom, Maureen, when she was in Hollywood going to her sex mansions and it's like well that is that does actually happen in Hollywood we now have documentation yeah that that is the kind of crazy shit that happens in Hollywood yeah yeah and that that the you know ingenue actress playing Sydney like admits in her last moments that she had fucked Milton to like get the role 
yeah breaking and like then she dies yeah it is heartbreaking to see emily mortimer go down like that especially when they're like but it's also very very uh uh, hollywood to be like you made it out of five thousand girls and then to find out that it was for purely aesthetic reasons or or backdoor reasons which oftentimes is the case (laughs) um you had mentioned on twitter (laughs) Oh no. That speaking of sex mansions. Oh boy. Oh my god, what? You mentioned having sex in a champagne pool? Oh no. Okay. Was that in Hollywood? No. And also that was an exaggeration. Oh, okay. It wasn't a champagne pool. There was an indoor pool and there was free champagne. And it was But when that happens, the champagne ends up in the pool. (laughs) Yeah. And it was in a very fancy like tech bro mansion in san francisco that's the new hollywood is is silicon valley parties yeah Yeah. that was a long time ago that was like over like 11 years ago i believe yes yes yes. and (laughs) pre-sobriety and right at at the end of my drinking because i am 11 years sober so that was like one congrats thank you that was like one of my last hurrahs well, it's a great hurrah. I mean, when they when they blow up uh, Jennifer Jolie, Parker Posey's house, um, uh, explosions, another thing that ups the stakes of, of the trilogy. Um, when they're like, who can smell the gas? I'm like, bitch, this is Hollywood. Every one of them has just done three bumps of cocaine, at least. No one's smelling gas. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I, I do enjoy I do enjoy a cheeky little Hollywood nod or a cheeky little champagne sex story. But mm-hmm. I'm glad you you went out on a a last hurrah as interesting as that. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, Ellie. Um we've been talking for a while. Um, is there anything about Scream Three you've not mentioned that you're like, oh, let's talk about this? Um well, it is almost entirely white people in the entire movie yes very which much. is like not shocking it, even with movies made today i mean it's just like unbelievable how many of them are just packed with just white people mm-hmm. but it was i mean i think because there's literally like one black actor in the film and that's yeah, it. tyson <laughs> yeah and I was, it's they're trying to make a comment on it it was disappointing because they do a better job in scream 2 with the opening with jada pinkett and Omar Epps of mm-hmm. saying, you know, the black characters are always treated differently in these movies and they die first, but then they do die first. <laughs> well, exactly. And then say, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like with this character, there is that, they do mention it, don't they? Like he's like one, the one black friend. Yes, or- he's the one black character. So he's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out of here. Like he's the smart one. And to his credit, he's one of the last to, to go out, but they kind of, undersell him the entire movie and then throw him off a balcony it's kind of yeah they're gonna comment on it at least make some progress that is very like 90s early 2000s kind of and i mean still happens but that kind of like we're commenting on it and that's okay yeah ends and i think that's the part that struck me as really disappointing and like not enough from viewing it now where i was like yeah it's not enough to be like look there's one black actor just like and we know it it's like right and you made this movie with one black actor that you hired and it's not enough to be like but we didn't really because we're talking about how that happens it's like no that's like when a comedian is like no it's okay that the punchline is is punching down on on this minority or this victim i'm like no it's just because you're commenting on it doesn't mean that it's a i don't know it's Yes, it was just very unsurprising, but like noticed it, you know. Mm-hmm. It is noticeable, uh, especially watching older movies, but even watching people like touch each other now is like, oh, yeah. can they do that? It's weird the way times change. You know, I feel so much like yearning when I look at like coffee shop scenes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to like use someone else's dirty spoon again and not. Care. <laughs> I can't wait to use dirty spoons. I miss diners. I, oh, miss, I miss so much. I miss just following Guy Fieri around. <laughs> mm-hmm. On that note, 
Thank you so much, Ellie, for doing this. It was a treat to have you. You're hilarious. Um, where can people follow you? Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. And I'm on Twitter at Ellie Kremendahl, um, which is my last name is really long. <laughs> um, and same handle on um, Instagram. Insta, and do you have uh, videos or a yeah, podcast I have a, or? I have a YouTube channel that's also Ellie Kremendahl. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. Of course. Will you help me say bye, Gremlins? Bye, Gremlins. Bye, Gremlins. Mm-hmm. <laughs>